Welcome to the Changing Construction podcast brought to you by Mail Manager, the email management solution developed by Arup to solve your email headache. It's Chris here from Mail Manager and today's guest is Sharon Slinger, a diversity and inclusion specialist in the construction sector and owner of Constructing Rainbows. Welcome to the podcast, Sharon. Hi, thank you for having me on. No problem at all. So, so today we're going to be chatting about the barriers in the construction industry and implementing diversity and inclusion initiatives. But as a starting point, why don't you introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about your backstory to, to where you are today? Yep. So I predominantly am a chartered QS that's predominantly worked for top tier main contractors. And in 2017, I decided that I would set up on my own Constructing Rainbows because I've been doing a lot of work on diversity and inclusion in the organisations that I'd worked for and decided I could make a a much bigger difference by working with a range of organisations across the industry. It's an industry that I, I love. I got into it in the beginning through well, whether it's through luck or, or good judgment, but I did, at school I did one of those, those questionnaires about what you're good at and what you enjoy, and top came quantity surveying. So I looked into it and thought, I'll, I'll give that a go. And I thoroughly enjoyed our industry. It's not, it's not perfect by any means, but you know, if we all work at it, I think we can, we can make it better. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really nice positive start um, or positive way to summarise the industry. Obviously, we're going to be talking about some some of the harder hitting topics in the industry. But do you want to just explain a little bit about what you do at uh, Constructing Rainbows and, and who the kind of clients that you work with? Yes. Um, yeah, so I work, well, I've got a range of clients across uh, the built environment. So contractors like Sir Robert McAlpine, I've worked with RICS and SIBSI, professional institutions. I've worked with a, work with a built environment networking, which is a, a networking company for the built environment. So I'm working cross industry, which is really, really, really interesting. And each each organization has its own issues to tackle. So what I usually do to start off with is, is to sit down with the you know, senior leadership and just work through what the organization does, what, what's working well, the areas they want to like expand into and any barriers that they have. And then we go from there to help them set up their strategy. And how do these, um, how do the customers sort of come to you? Is it, is it the realisation within that, that they need to improve diversity and inclusion? What are the perceptions do you think at the moment? Yeah, so it's usually enlightened people that come to me who realise they want to do something but aren't quite sure what, what to do. So, so there's some drivers to it. Um, some of it is client you know, clients are asking for it, but others realise that it's just not quite right and they want to correct that. So I guess in some some ways I benefit from having clients that really want to make that change. Okay, so to set the scene, what do you think are the current barriers in construction today that you commonly come across? I think we want quick fix answers, which isn't going to happen. I think it is, it is a long-term thing, but I think we think that we can you know talk about women in the industry and suddenly women all come flocking or even that if we go into schools and talk about the industry that that people will join the industry and that's it done what we need to be doing is making sure that we're looking at a range of issues so it's not just recruitment it's it's retention it's it's looking at kind of you know what behaviors and what culture we've got in organizations 
we still have to put it nicely dinosaurs in our in our industry who who don't believe there is an issue and want to carry on as normal and you know the, the, there is a there is a wave now of people that are wanting it to change so yeah there's there are there are barriers throughout the organization for different groups and and it's it's yeah seeking out those barriers to to address them yeah absolutely and and um i mean it's obviously a hot topic at the moment but uh covid19 just wanted to get your thoughts really on on how that's impacted diversity and inclusion particularly with like new barriers emerging maybe with with flexible working obviously not everyone's in the office at the moment but what what impact do you do you think has been had on on sort of like those kind of initiatives that aren't necessarily you know directly the bottom line it's interesting you mentioned flexible working i think that's one of been one of the positives mm. um of of covid there was a school of thought that people couldn't be trusted if they were working at home and now everyone's been forced to work at home and can see that it it, it works there's been a lot of people who have enjoyed spending more time with their kids being able to put them to bed at night and i think they'll want to continue with that when we when we do eventually go back so organizations need to make sure that they're addressing that I think there has been a lot of negatives when it comes to diversity and inclusion over the last few months. Uh, it's been quite frustrating for me and a lot of other people to see certain industry organisations putting initiatives on hold that are focused on diversity and inclusion. Uh, there's organisations that have furloughed their diversity and inclusion people. And to me, that demonstrates that they don't totally understand the importance of it and how it should be ingrained in in our recovery you know when we're coming up out up with these plans for how we recover we want as many ideas as possible we want to be coming out of it trying to avoid the phrase new normal because everybody hates it but <laughs> you know the build back better that's that's what we want and at the moment we seem to be trying to rush back to how we were before and that's a missed opportunity i think covid has shown how much we should be supporting people there has been a lot of, of loss. There has been, there's going to be a lot of mental health issues. We need to be supporting, be supporting our staff through these quite awful times. And if you have furloughed or even made redundant some of those people that, that do those roles, then t- to me, you've, 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 missed, you've missed the point. Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And it's, it's a really important point that the people make the business ultimately. And and it's great to hear that construction looks like it's going to be a really critical industry as we build out of, out of the recession and out of the pandemic. But sad to hear at the same time that initiatives have, have been put on the back burner in some cases. But looking at the future as well, you mentioned um, redundancies there. Is there a worry, I guess, that, well, what is the impact on redundancies do you think and is there a worry that they won't be fair yeah so in 2008 recession the data shows that proportionally more women were left the industry than men and we've been trying to build back from that ever since now my concern is that something similar will happen this time Uh, and it's because in tough times people kind of close ranks and they go with what they know and you know it's a it's a natural human reaction but you know, we have to make sure that the, the processes that are in place are fair um, to ensure that we, we don't just end up with 
you know, people keeping on people who are like themselves. And that's my worry for, you know, there are organizations already announcing redundancies in our industry. And I just, you know, want to make sure that it is done fairly and that we don't set ourselves back on the diversity inclusion agenda in during this redundancy process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, well, talking about the agenda, what top tips could you give for businesses then during this time um, in, in making sure that everything is fair and they, um, well, particularly those who maybe want to be implementing diversity and inclusion initiatives, you know, where, where do they start? I think, yeah, so previous to COVID, I think quite a few people had strategies in place that they were working towards and COVID's kind of thrown it all out of the window. But So what diversity and inclusion should be looked at at the moment is those short-term support, as we've talked about, making sure that processes are objective, not subjective. And yeah, so ensuring that we are, everything we're doing is is supporting people who need it. So for example, I know a lot of work has gone back, but schools haven't. Therefore, is there issues with childcare that is you know, has been shown that it's predominantly still landing on on women's desk to look after. So making sure that there's not anything going awry with with that. So that's the kind of short term looking at it. And then when we, we, we are back to a bit more normality, you know, really, I mean, I the way I sit down with clients is to is to do a scoping exercise to understand what those look at the data that they've got, understand the kind of areas that they need to focus on and then start to put in place some initiatives and strategies to help make improvements what you need to remember is you can't boil the ocean so starting with you know smaller areas that you can build upon is is the best way to do it as long as you're taking those steps forward and not standing still or going backwards i think it's it's a positive place to be yeah, absolutely. Have you, have you got any examples you could share of of initiatives that have been done well that you've seen? I'm a big fan of internal networks for the uh, for larger organisations, and, and that's predominantly because it brings together a group of people with a, a common reason, and they can help support the senior leaders to understand more. And I think that's the thing that I would expect from senior leaders is to be listening and to trying to understand what it's like for certain groups within your organization that, you know, you might not know and it's okay not to know, but it's not okay not to listen. I think networks are really important for, for, for helping to drive that, that change within larger organizations. Now, I appreciate our industry is predominantly SMEs. The same goes for SMEs in some respects as senior leaders you know seek out those opportunities to listen and to learn uh, and to have empathy with your with your your employees and and that's a really good starting point yeah i think that's a really good good point and um i guess one of the one of the biggest challenges with with smes is that maybe in larger companies you have you know bigger networking groups you have perhaps a dedicated person for diversity you could you know it could come from hr or something like that but smaller companies maybe there isn't dedicated resource there so it is important i think that it is top down it comes you know from from the very top but how do you think the perceptions um change depending on the size of business to things like diversity and inclusion i think 
sometimes it's it is put into a box that it's not about them and actually inclusion is about everybody no matter how big your organization is you know if you are a smaller organization actually um it's easier to to create the right culture within your organization than a larger organization so i think you know th- there are some positives to to being a, that that smaller smaller place you know you can get to know your staff you can quickly stamp out any bad behavior that you know crops up and, and so there are some real benefits to, to being a smaller organization yeah that's a really good point i think um so we're going to talk a little bit about the current state of diversity in the industry and i know we spoke off air about this about the importance of, of role models for younger generations as well but how would you summarize where we are now? Um, obviously, COVID, as you said, has, has thrown it all up in the air a little bit. Um, but do you think we're making enough positive steps at the moment? I think if you look at pure data, there's not been much movement in the last 20 years uh, that I've been in the industry. But actually, if you, if you look at you know, what's going on and, and how organizations are trying to address it and you know how you know bad behavior is being stamped out I think there's been real positive change as I said before I do just worry the last few months that things are slipping back but hopefully by the end of the year I'll be proved wrong I think there is an issue with skill shortage in our industry that's not just you know about women about ethnic minorities you know it, it's about everybody the younger generation just aren't as interested in joining our industry and some of that is to do with the image of our industry and and we are doing a lot to address that but there's still a lot more that we can do i think it's really important as we said that you have there are role models that you can look up to and see yourself in i know when rics got their first female president it was like wow this is this is amazing Mm. and since then we've we've had well we've had another and then there's another calf fontana is going to be in next year so just it's kind of i mean it's an old saying but breaking that glass ceiling and having those role models there that you can aspire to be really can help drive drive people on yeah, I think that's um, the the inclusivity. I think of the industry is is a really good point to make. Um, and we actually had Vicky Reynolds on uh, as our first ever podcast episode, and she spoke a lot about when she goes in to talk to the younger generation, particularly girls. Um, the the image of construction is just totally wrong, and it's still seen as kind of like the the bad boy subject to, or career to pursue. And it, actually, the the range of roles that we have in the industry just uh, even unknown or not promoted enough so what do you think about that yeah absolutely i think you know we have bob the builder don't we so that's what everybody thinks construction (laughs) construction is although there is wendy uh is also a builder so that's positive but um yeah i think i think it's a very misunderstood industry i think you're right it's still kind of a if you're not good enough you could go into construction and that's totally not what it is there's such a varied range of careers we just don't sell it enough. Um, I, I, with my different hat on, I, I'm a director of steer support and mentoring, and we match industry mentors with final year students because we found that there was something like there's less than 
30% of, of students that start a, a built environment course uh, are in the industry six months after graduation. And we're like, that's shocking because these mm. people have shown an interest at the start. And for some reason, during that university process and into, into graduate roles, they're disappearing. And it might be because they start a role, as, or they start a course as architecture and decide architecture is not, not for them. But if they have a role model that says, or a mentor that says, you know, what, have you looked at engineering or have you looked at surveying or have you looked at, you know, all these different opportunities, they might find something within the industry that is more suited to them. So, you know, we set up this, this mentoring scheme so that we could, you know, provide those role models at that early age who they can have the one-to-one discussion with ask silly questions if you need to but just you know make sure that if you are thinking of leaving in the industry you're leaving it for the right reasons yeah those statistics are pretty damning aren't they um one of the other things we've picked up in in previous podcasts as well is that um education in, in construction doesn't prepare you for the nature of the industry and um you know it's perceived to have long hours and it is a hard job at the end of the day what, what do you think about that and, and how can we bridge the gap between education and industry better in terms of preparing them for actually what the real life industry is like well i might turn that on its head actually because should our industry be long hours and hard working and or is that something that we need to address as an industry you know we <laughs> we have a terrible mental health record and is part of that because of the long hours and the working away from home and the how people don't spend enough time with their families. So yeah. I would like to see that addressed. But yeah, likewise, I think you know students often do a placement year. I think as an industry, we really, really need to do better at giving them that opportunity to have that placement year. I know with COVID happening that there's a lot of those placement years have been cancelled. And then what will happen, they'll go straight into their final year. And on graduation, I know parts of our industry will go, what experience have you got? And it's like this vicious circle of like, we were desperate for people to have experience, but not willing to give them it. So I would like to see us, us looking at that better. I would like to see universities having more practitioners lecturing rather than you know just academics, I think. The way the funding structure is at universities, they are given money by the government for for research more than the, the practical side of, of um, teaching, which for our industry is, you know, we want people that have been in the industry who can, you know, teach our students what it's really like there. So I think that there is areas that, that we, we can improve. And I think it's, it's you know, definitely up to industry to speak to education and education to speak to industry to make sure that there's not that gaping gap between the two yeah interesting points there and um just to go back to your your point about long longer hours it was actually uh, on a mental health episode of ours with uh, ben channon who's a, a wellness ambassador in the industry about um, basically his experience was that he came out of university and just wasn't prepared for, for the long hours. And he quickly realized that it, it's not about working till 10 o'clock every night. Um, so it's, it's a really good point you make there, but 
if we go on to advice for other women in in particular um relating to your journey as well what what would you say to other women thinking about joining the industry who may be a bit skeptical about coming into this industry i, I would say do it as, as i said before i really enjoy our industry it's 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 a tough industry and sometimes you have to have quite a thick skin especially as a qs but it, it's definitely worth it and and there is a group of you know the the women that are in the industry are very supportive there are groups around that can help support people with any issues that they have but generally i think it is it's an industry where i've always felt i could could be myself and i know not everybody has had that same experience but until you join it i just you know you don't know whether it's a, it's an industry for you or not and i would say other industries that can be equally as tough uh, mm. i mean my w- wife w- works in accountancy and th- they have long hours too teachers they have long hours so it, yeah it's not just our industry that has that long hour culture but yeah definitely give it a go and if they need any support you know there's loads of people that are willing to support them okay so I want to finish with something a bit actionable for, for businesses. Um, so if you, you, if you could give any advice to, to businesses, particularly on why diversity and inclusion must be taken seriously, what would you say to them? So there's, there's massive amounts of research about how diverse and inclusive organisations are more profitable than those that aren't. So to me, it's a business case. It's a business reason to be ensuring that your organization is diverse and inclusive. So once you realize that that has to be a part of of what you are and the culture that you have, then really start to address it, put the resource in to address it. You know, don't just put something out on International Women's Day saying how you've got women working for you because that's not going to cut it. That's not going to change the culture. But spend that time and, and energy to, to actually, you know, look at it, pull together a strategy, make sure your strategy is part of your main overall business strategy. And then you can start to address the barriers within your own organization, which are probably going to be very bespoke to your organization. Okay, great. That's a great tip to end with. So Sharon, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And I hope everyone enjoyed that. Thank you.